Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, working out with the rock, getting up off the floor, and living the four C's. This is Optical Course. Here we go. You know, Andrew, you always go like, welcome to the podcast. Like you're trying to decide if you want to go through with it again. <laughs> <laughs> like the episode itself? What is your thought process? On how I say welcome? Yeah, because you're always like, welcome to the podcast. It's like, mm, I don't know. Do we, <laughs> do we want to do this again? Or do we want to do this intro? Or what's John going to say in the intro? Sometimes it's just welcome those. to the podcast. It is, yeah. But sometimes it's not. Well, I decide halfway, I guess. Okay, so there's no process. You're just, there's very little process. Just like this intro. So Leap, Leap's Own Strategies. Leap's Own Strategies. Jim was here with us today. Yeah. And uh, I think we did a good job of not just having you and him talk about movies because yeah we could have man yeah and we did for like an hour after oh, and then you guys shamed me for not being as much of a movie buff as as you two and i mean fair enough he worked in hollywood yeah and in new york and i and, wish i did and you just are obsessed with celebrities so as soon as there was like a first mention of like oh i've got some stories john's just like i want to hear i want to hear i want to hear okay not every day someone someone saunters in the studio and is like, "Boy, I had drinks with Colin Farrell." Like, of course I'm going to lean in and be like, "Tell that damn story." And Andrew's like, "Whoa, we'll get to that later." I'm like, "Get to that fucking later." What do you mean, man? It's Colin Farrell. But yeah. uh, we we did get to it, but and I think it. Uh, it was uh, Jim was able to meet both of our needs. <laughs> because, Whatever those are. <laughs> yeah, we had some we had some great conversations about a variety of topics. Yeah. Very very um wide ranging conversation. My gosh, that guy has lived all over the place. New York, LA, Vancouver, and he's his stories, I mean he's slung drinks, he was a bartender, he's he is off Broadway one man actor, one man, one play. man play and my gosh, there's yeah, we could yeah. Have, this episode could have been twice as long, but Yeah, and the amazing part of it is that he went through like what you say is like, oh, he was living an amazing, he's lived an amazing life. New York, LA yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. was a rower uh, yeah. for the U.S. men's national team. A bunch of medals. Yeah. And and was not, I wouldn't say miserable or unhappy, but definitely unfulfilled or or what we've referred to in past episodes as the chase. Yeah, the chase. Yeah, Jason Dorland talked about that. You know, it's it's so funny because the impetus for this episode was it was a story he told because Jim was on in a previous episode for about fifteen minutes, um, small business big day, and he shared a little story about um, he was he was uh, managing a, a resort and he was sitting in like the classic office, you know, glass glass windows, looking out over his, you know, looking out over his empire, a couple hundred employees, and he just realized <laughs> <laughs> you're making a a bit of a gladiator reference there. I think I was, yeah, and we did talk about the gladiator and how you don't like Russell Crowe, which is crazy, but. Uh, yeah, well, that's, you know, that's your loss. I just think he plays the same role. And I, I haven't seen every one of his movies because no, I watched like so. four and I stopped because right. he played the same role in every one of them. Ones. He's just like the grumpy guy who sure. like is doesn't say much and right. kind of grumbles. And, and then, yeah. you know, they create a movie around him. And but. Russell, we know you're listening. And that's just Andrew. I mean, I, the I other do thing, adore you. So if you want to come on the podcast. No, can, but he seems we, like we a do dick too. Out of town. Didn't he throw a, a phone at a receptionist in a hotel lobby one time and like probably clobber did, them yeah. in the face? Yeah, but a lot of actors have stories like that. Yeah, yeah not all. You know, I mean, a lot we, of them do. We can have 
you know, Mel Gibson, Christian Bale. I mean, all these people. Is Christian love. Bale too? He yeah. seems like he would be a jerk. Yeah, he. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But brilliant actor. So. Yeah, good for them. But I don't have to watch their movies. So Jim's sitting in the office, you know, yeah. with, <laughs> with the glass windows and everything, and uh, a couple hundred employees, and he's, you know, the picture of success, and he's like, "I'm miserable," and that's why we brought him on the episode. That that story was just like, wow. We didn't even reference. it. We talked for two hours. That story didn't even come up it's because true. he has so many other stories. Yeah. Um, so I just thought that was uh, kind of interesting. Absolutely. And I definitely relate to a lot of his journeys in terms of uh, finding a career in hospitality. Yeah. I wasn't in New York or L.A., but, uh, you know, it translates. Um, although I went and cruised the seas working in hospitality right. and actually bumped into a number of celebrities myself. I, which, Did you, why have you ever told me? Yeah, I know. Is I'm it because I'm going to like the, slobber all over the microphone? The, the look or? of disdain uh, <laughs> when I said that. Yeah, like I... Like you, you chatted with them? Yeah, like, like boys, remember Boys to Men? They they oh, were boys to men. Are you kidding? They of course performed on board, and then I was hanging out with them in the in the crew bar afterwards, really? chatting about no whatever way. and having some drinks. And then oh. um, one of the members of NSYNC, I he he like I sat him down and taught him how to play a a board game in the I'm guessing it was bar Justin. that I was. No, it wasn't Justin. <laughs> yeah. It's irrelevant. Because Justin and then the, a bunch of others. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, and there was like. It was. I was working for Disney Cruise Line, so there was a lot of like Disney star type people, uh, yeah, yeah. like you know, family friendly yeah. celebrities. Um, but one of them was like starring in Wicked at the time, and oh, yeah. like gave me her email address, and Ooh. we had for what purpose? Just to keep in touch. Uh-huh. And then I didn't email her. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, that is Wicked. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so oh, there cool. similar. Um, I I found a lot of similarities and was was in, drawn in by by Jim's story and and really wanted to know more because the the background in athletics and hospitality kind of mm-hmm. finding the rock bottom moment in hospitality where there's a lack of fulfillment and and a sense of no real purpose and just I mean for me it was definitely burnout um which he isn't a term that he used exactly but his life did kind of seem to to crumble um at a point and and so yeah it was it was a pleasure um Having the having the conversation well, and, yeah, and getting your, to your hear your guys' stories are um, crazy. Did you like how I cut you off there? Yeah, and totally you do all the time. Off. I'm used to it. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, into myself, but uh, <laughs> but um, no, he the, the thing about you know your story with with getting that you know zero to nine on your test. I figured if Jim would have taken a test around that same time, he might have got the same. Even though outwardly he's doing all these things that you were doing, you know, like meeting these these fancy people and doing these cool jobs but inwardly not necessarily connected to your true self and living your true values yeah and that's really what where this episode goes is so it doesn't matter if you're doing all those things and even working out with the rock doesn't matter if you're not connected to your true self and doing it for a purpose bigger than yourself yeah absolutely and uh and you'll learn what the four c's are that are uh are what drive him now and it has nothing to do with uh Celebrity. Celebrity is not one of the four C's. No. Spoiler alert, John. <laughs> well done there. You called me out twice in one sentence. <laughs> that was clever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. enjoy the episode, everybody. It's a, it's, it's a good one, and there's, there's so much to learn and so much to be entertained by. Okay, well, here we are once again 
Jim Gardner, welcome back to the podcast. Now, in the present moment, our episode with you hasn't aired yet, but no. by the time that yours comes out, it'll be live, so people will be familiar with Jim. But uh, yeah, it's great to get back. We we met you up in the Couchin Valley at the the small, small business business big day big day, yeah. <laughs> and uh, here we are again to get more more Jim. We got a taste. But now we're we're going in for the main course. <laughs> <laughs> the buffet. Yeah. <laughs> Jim's tasty, that's what we're saying. Folks. Yeah. We got our, our aprons, our, our bibs on. Yeah, and uh, we can cut that analogy now. But uh, <laughs> but also what's nice is we just have Jim. We don't have all the voices in the background. Yeah. Which uh, which muted Jim's voice. So yeah, it'll be nice to just have this nice intimate space with our with our tea. Zero distractions. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and we were actually just talking about that before we started rolling. How uh, mm-hmm. how lucky we are to have the opportunity to have conversations with with zero distractions. Yeah, where because and it's one of the reasons we started the podcast is because it's so unique to have real meaningful conversations in our culture where we're always so busy all the time. And uh, and we were talking about Ryan Holiday and stillness is the key is his new book and and it's like we have to prioritize the the stillness, the real conversations, the the relaxation, because it's so easy to get swept up in chaos that is our, our lives. And none of us have read it yet because we're still looking to find that time to have stillness in our life. Yeah. <laughs> and there, therein lies the irony in the optical course. <laughs> yeah, or like, what's the, it, it's out on audio, so I can, I can listen to it while I'm doing everything else. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's funny. Well, Jim... Um, yeah, we're, we're super thrilled to have, have you on here. Um, you were kind enough to send us some notes on, that uh, we're now going to jump further into. Sure. And, uh, and one of the things that we thought we would start with is um, a, a pivotal moment where you discovered something that, you, that became a huge part of your life. Mm. And it was inspired by a movie that you'd watched. <laughs> so why don't you take us through that story? Yeah, sure. The movie's kind of bad. That's the, that's why I'm laughing. But but uh, yeah, I was at a I was at a point in my life, uh, graduate, getting ready to graduate high school, and uh, going through a, a health scare, uh, being uh, asthma background all my life, and uh, it was a pivotal point, which was a catalyst for me to say, hey, what am I gonna do? I want to do something athletically at university, and. Um, <laughs> I I never really had a lot of athletic success. I was never really that good because of my asthma and, and other things. However, I said, well, what could I do? And, you know, and when you go to university, you can't just go and play baseball. You, you have to have played baseball or, you know, been pretty good, right? So uh, I, I didn't know. And I was watching a movie called Oxford Blues. <laughs> With yeah, with Rob Lowe. Oh yeah, good old Rob Lowe. Good old Rob Lowe. Yeah. and uh, it's about this American who goes to Oxford <laughs> and and uh, joins the rowing team. And I never knew what rowing was, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was just really, it was a typical '80s movie, and uh, you know, cheese and charm, and mm-hmm. guy gets girl, and guy loses girl, guy gets girl back, guys, <laughs> athletic pursuits, blah blah blah. However, it opened my eyes to this this culture of rowing, this this uh, old school approach to 
um, history, loyalty, teamwork. It's either you're all in with everyone or you're all out. And, you know, uh, it just, it fascinated me whereby, you know, one, one stupid scene where, you know, they, they, he doesn't show up, he sleeps in. Well, they freaking come in and dump a bucket of water on him or something like that. And, and, you know, because they can't row, you can't row if a guy in your boat is not there. You know, it's about this, this dedication and this commitment. And I was like, oh man, I like that. You know, and I love the water. I grew up in the ocean and I'm thinking, I don't know. So, so anyway, I was pretty cool. And then I remember two, a few pivotal times in my life. I, I never do well when people say I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. So, um, my uh, physician at the time, my asthma uh, specialty physician, when I mentioned it to him, told me I was crazy. He's like, you can't, you can't do that. It's one of the more demanding sports in the world. And you're, you know. And I was like, okay. And my best friend, Ed Mello, at the time, who I'm still good friends with, my childhood friend, said, you can't do that. I said, you can't do it. You're, you're, you know, you're a weak asthmatic. This is the guy who used to see me give myself shots when I was a kid, right? Like, and uh, anyway, I said, well, I don't know. I'm, why can't I? And then I went to school the following semester, or following uh, September when I went to university. I was on my second day of campus up at the quad at the University of Rhode Island and there was people handing out flyers for this orientation meeting for rowing. Hmm. Huh. I said, okay. And I remember it was a Monday, a Monday at 7.30 p.m. Hmm. And I walked into this auditorium. I sat down with a bunch of other people and they welcomed us and they put on this slideshow. And from that moment on, I was I was hooked. It was rowing images with like lunatic fringe music and you know like all these kind of epic songs at the time and was rob Lowe in that part of it no as well? he wasn't okay. oh god <laughs> that, that would have sealed it for me that would have sealed the deal uh and uh i remember they said okay anybody who wants to join the the rowing team uh meet tomorrow afternoon tuesday afternoon uh, behind the gymnasium at three thirty, and we're gonna go for a run hmm and uh, that was it. I showed up the next day. I went for a run, a three-mile run, which as an asthmatic yeah. guy who, who's never run more than a half a mile. That's huge. And uh, I remember I finished second to last from the men. And what I remember most was there was instinctively already, there were a bunch of guys waiting there for everyone to cross the line and high-fiving. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, I'm in. You know, and those guys, I still talk to them to this day. Jim Sawyer, Greg Servini, Bob mm. Bradley. I mean, you know, it's it is a it's a lifelong partnership. Mm. You know, mm. and it was filling a void that that you were sorely missing in your life. Yeah, yeah, it was for sure. I I didn't have an identity at that time. You know, I think we all struggle at a younger age. What am I going to do? I should be this. I should be that. We don't have. You know, if I knew now, going back and said. You don't need an you don't need uh, an identity outside of yourself, but you can't tell that to an 18, 17 year old. Well, and perhaps, perhaps you say you didn't have an identity. Maybe the the identity you had, you just didn't like. Like perhaps it was the identity of the weak asthmatic kid who can't do those things. Absolutely. And so it was. It was more. Perhaps it was more of a not loving an identity. That's mm-hmm. that's actually a really good point, and I, and you're absolutely right. I was trying to shed that that weak boy fragile kid that I was all my life right mm-hmm. up and, to that point and an opportunity for a fresh start and yeah 
and you know starting university and it's like you get to rebuild yourself really you do on many ways you know whether it's athletically or, or personally or relationships and, and it is a chance to kind of have a clean slate and and at that time you know rowing is it still is one of the few sports that people can achieve high status and do while in college like learn it as a freshman mm-hmm. that, that that doesn't happen with other sports like hockey and gymnastics right. and, you know you're in it since six years old yeah like, that's and right you have to be to be able to be successful that's like right. every once in a while you hear about like oh this kid didn't pick up a hockey stick till like 11 and he's a it's a wonder story right so one thing that i wanted to pick up on it's kind of deviating from your story a little bit but that idea of a fresh start in starting university is it can often be a gift and, and the same can happen with it if kids are going from junior high school to high school or or that opportunity for a bit of a rebirth and we don't often see that later in our lives and it's it can cause that uh, uh you know comfortably miserable is a term that you've used and and we we won't really give ourselves that gift of an opportunity to really start over um, that university or starting some some new position um, affords us. Mm-hmm. That's right. The older we get, the more we're bound by society, what we deem as societal norms or status quos, or you know, we won't give ourselves the permission. And and you know, uh, I, I finally gave myself permission. To do that, to do just that, um, even at my age now, and and I think though I do have, I do have hope, and I don't like to say hope because hope's not a strategy; it's kind of out there, right? But it's I do believe that people are starting to embrace this more and more, and be aware of this that mm-hmm. um, that rebirth can happen throughout our lives. Yeah, I, I want to dig into how you're able to run those three miles. Mm-hmm. Right, because obviously asthma is a very real condition, and um, that sensation, which which I, I know you, you you've talked about, you felt those twenty years before of not being able to breathe, and mm-hmm. some some real um, brushes with with death on some occasions, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden running, you know, almost five kilometers. Um, how do you think you were physically able to do that? Like, like I, I can't imagine it was just a mindset shift. Well, I was scared shitless, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I, well, you know, because sometimes, look, you, you have to have the courage. You have to have the courage to step out. And so the fact that I was willing to show up made me say, hey, fuck, okay, now I'm, I'm showing up. I, I, have to contrib- I have to contribute. I mean, it's, it's on me. And, you know, I, part of it is a mindset, to be honest, even at that age, because I remember in junior high, you know, in gym class, They'd send us out for a run, and I would never make it around the field. And I'd always walk. And I and the and the shame that I put on myself around that also forced me to continue. Um, at that time, though, when I started rowing, you know, I had, I had just gotten an inhaler too, so that helped. So, um, you know, I never really had that kind of uh, back pocket um, aid. Mm-hmm. When I started to have, you know, when the, when the lungs started to kind of seize well, up. Really a safety net. Well, absolutely, it was a safety right? net. Right? If things go south, at least I can get some relief. It's, Correct. It's powerful as opposed to like if it happens, what am I, you know, I'm going to be embarrassed or I'm going to, you know, be terrified or. Yeah. 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 yeah so you mentioned courage and I, I was thinking around the same lines of, of that question. And, but where, so it, to do the run physically, like you 
you know, it was mindset, but to actually show up and come to the tryout for someone who'd been mm-hmm. interested in athletics for their whole life, but never really been able to embrace it and, and play that role. Where do you think you did find that con- courage? And, and perhaps it's Rob Lowe and perhaps it's, there's, there's more to it. <laughs> God, if Rob ever listens to this, he's going to laugh his ass off. Oh, he's listening. Yeah, he's listening. Uh, well, part of it was, part of it was the, the journey that I created for myself, I mean, I wanted, I've always wanted to be X. Even back then, what I was doing at a younger age was I was, I was creating the attitude and the mood and the vibrational energy of being this type of person, even though I wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in, in, in today's world, it's it's being vibrationally out ahead of it or fake it till you make it some, you know, but that you earn things with your attitude and mood first. And so as a kid, I used to watch all the sporting events, you know, I would watch the Olympics religiously and, and want to, and relate to stories of athletes for some reason it was instinctual. And, and, and that relatability, um, kind of fostered that, that belief that I could be. Yeah. And that's kind of profound as, especially as a child is like, creating a I mean it's almost like creating a future you're creating a reality of being a person that you weren't physically able to be um so it's yeah it's associating with almost something outside of yourself um or or training yourself either consciously or unconsciously to to be a future improved version right It's it's almost like reading comic books um or star trek (laughs) <laughs> um, but with, with the intention of, of becoming a, you know, space explorer or superhero, but then it actually worked. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and you know, you kind of smile that Oxford blues or whatever that eighties movie was called. Is that, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, my go-to is Rudy. Oh, wow. Rudy, Rocky, Hoosiers. I exactly. mean, it's, they're so motivating for me that, that I literally, I'll put them on when I really need them, which is, you know, usually annually or a couple times a year yeah. sometimes. I'll put it on, and literally from the first bars of the music, I'm just like, I'm already fucking crying. Not totally. I mean, it's it's already, and I think it's, it, you know, they do a good job with the music, but it's this story of, like, nobody thought that person could do it, not even their family, but there was this this um, green, this crumb of belief, and, and, and through all their obstacles they pushed themselves, they were able to do it. And that really, that lies at the heart of your story, as we're already hearing, and really the heart of all our stories. Absolutely. The difference that I notice is that, you know, you watch Rocky, but mm. you don't, you didn't end up going and fighting Apollo no. Creed. Right. Like, yeah. you didn't, yeah. no. it, it was like inspiring, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, you don't hear it very often when somebody actually goes out and does the thing that they've yeah. been I had no to. desire to be a boxer. Yeah. Right? But I had a desire to have a heart like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where... Yes. Someone said I couldn't do something and I could work hard enough and, and have the belief to actually pull off what I thought I might be able to do. Yeah, and I guess it's the, the storytelling nature oh, of, of humanity, so right? It's yeah. it's the we we get in touch with stories and, and then they become a part of us and then mm-hmm. and we feel as if part of it is real and we associate with that and then it, it you know, shows that we can mm-hmm. be a hero, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's coming back to the, mm-hmm. the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Now, in terms of uh, the asthma, um, there was one account that I, I thought was really 
incredible um, that you, you told us a little bit about um, where you, I think in high school, became completely unable to breathe. You basically mm-hmm. collapsed mm-hmm. Um, at home, I guess, as it was your, your dad who kind of came to the rescue. There. Yeah, you know, I when you have asthma, usually it, you have allergies and you have sinus issues. And it, 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 it's it's bad. Like, it's, it was perhaps worse back then. We know a lot more about it, environmental figures, uh, factors and such. However, as I did every night, I was sleeping and, and uh, a lot of times a nasal drip or something would stimulate a coughing attack, right? And then if you cough, then it triggers spasms in the airways and so forth. Mm. And my mom could hear a pin drop, right? For mm. for her entire life up to this point, you know, um, she'd always, are you okay? Like any time, if I just stirred in my bed at all, you okay, Jimmy? <laughs> you know, and uh, <laughs> thank God because uh, I got up in the middle of the night, I had a coughing fit and I, I walked into the, to the, uh, the bathroom or washroom, as we say up here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I uh, went to go pee and I remember bracing myself. I couldn't breathe, you know, you just kind of like sucking air through a straw. And next thing I know, I'm, I open my eyes and there's paramedics all around me and 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 all that. And, and to this day, my dad makes fun of me because I, I said, what? the fuck are you doing in my house when I open my eyes? Because I didn't know what the hell was going on. And I found out that, uh, yeah, I stopped stopped breathing completely. And uh, my dad uh, ran to the kitchen. So, of course, mom heard me, heard the thud, of course, right? And then my my dad ran to the kitchen, grabbed a spoon. I guess my mouth had clenched shut. And he pried my mouth open with a spoon. Uh, chipped a couple teeth in the process, which I had to have fixed, <laughs> and gave me mouth to mouth, and 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 of course I started breathing again, uh, and then the paramedics came, and and uh, it was just a bizarre thing, and and uh, when I came to, I was of course I was completely fine. I mean they gave me a shot like they always do, epinephrine or something, and and I was fine, literally was fine, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but. That was a very defining moment for me uh, because that was the time where I, and it it was an instant. You know, you hear about these epiphanies, Mm -hmm. right? And that morning I just said, I am not going to let asthma control my life anymore. That's it. So it was kind of going to have a reverse role here. And that, that was it from then on. How was it controlling your life before that? Like, were you actively aware of it all, at all oh. times? Did you fear it? Were you... Everything. I mm. mean, you know, I, I I was born, I was shoved in an oxygen tent. Mm. <laughs> you know, for the first 13 years of my life, I was in the hospital every year for probably two or three weeks at a time. Wow. Uh, you know, at Christmas, I remember a couple times as well, missing out. And, and, and you know, uh, just wanting to play basketball and I was always okay I was decent at sports but I, I I didn't have any staying power right I was frail and had to always stop mm. right because I couldn't breathe uh, my mom had to give me shots then when I got a little older as a teenager I would give myself shots if I had if I needed of adrenaline and you know and food trig food would trigger me and it'd just be different things on different days and so it was just kind of a fear-based lifestyle you know and Never at that point, they just started to experiment with inhalers too, kind of in my middle teens. And so we didn't have that outside of a shot to take with you, 
let's say you didn't have that kind of release mm-hmm. or that that safety net like you mentioned right so yeah it uh it was it was fear you know couldn't do I, it wasn't until i got into high school that i could do school trips mm-hmm. that my parents would let go of me a little bit you know uh let go of the worry associated with well he's going to be out there what happens if He's in New Hampshire on a, on a school trip or something, and he has an attack, right? Yeah, the fear and worry controlling everything. It's not going to allow you to thrive or... or Sounds like or people be, today, too. I mean, that, yeah. that, that's something that's always prevalent, right? Totally. Whether you're a kid or an adult. Well, and you hit that point of near death, and it could have gone either way. It could have been like, okay, it, everything is fearful now I, I can't even go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and I, I could drop down yeah, dread that's such dead. a good point yeah. and but instead it was like you know what fuck this like this isn't going to control me I'm going to control it and you know that mindset was potentially the catalyst for for the decision to yeah. go into rowing and 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 a quick uh, sidebar of that is is that morning my mom didn't want me to go to school of course I'm like I'm going to school and not only am I going to school but I have a tennis match in the afternoon you're not playing tennis. I said, yeah, I feel fine. And I actually did, right? I mean, I felt completely fine. That afternoon, I went and played tennis. I, again, I was, I was actually, I think I was ranked fifth on our team. So I, I was the last single spot, right? Like one through five played singles and then so forth. And I got in a match with, uh, with uh, our neighboring town with this guy. And it was the best tennis I've ever played in my life. Hmm. I was like, out of my skin hmm. like I was pulling shit out of my bum that you wouldn't believe like diving had bloody knees I still lost <laughs> but it went to five sets tiebreaker the whole thing and it was it ended up being so long that the entire team got around and was watching from outside the fence right and uh, I never played like that again and it sounds like you almost pushed yourself farther than you perhaps yeah. ever had right? I was just inspired in the moment yeah. right? mm-hmm. so. so I'm curious about your parents um, do you feel like, looking back, you know, as as a kid, you, we're not reflective on how our parents are doing as parents. You know, it's just this is my life kind of thing. But looking back, do you feel like your parents gave you what you needed to get through those turbulent years, or um, what could they have given you? You think that would have helped? Just for especially for those parents listening. Now, right? That's a loaded question. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and being a parent now, I have that to uh, gauge myself with. I I mean. <laughs> uh, there's a lot I wish my parents did give me to be honest with you and uh, looking back I'll, I will say the one thing that they gave me was the ability to figure shit out for myself because they were they were involved in caring and loving yet they weren't the nurturing Mm-hmm. educational you can do anything type support network and you know it's nothing against my folks I love them to death however I I also was an only child so I I am an only child or was <laughs> I am an only child so I was left to my own devices and I think that's where that association with finding the courage at some point whether it was fictitious in my mind at that point being an 8 year old 10 year old 12 year old whatever I was caused. I I was left to dream. You know, I was left to kind of create my own fantasies, create my own avenues of where I could possibly go in life, because no one really 
showed me anything else. So I want to jump ahead maybe and because you're talking about fantasies and, and creating uh, a, a new reality and the decision to move to New York City um, and mm-hmm. the, the, that fantasy, the childhood fantasy of being an athlete or an actor, mm. uh, you decided to pursue one of those. At, well, first you decided to, to drop rowing. Correct. And abandon that fantasy. For, for, for a good chunk of time, yes. Yeah. Yes. And then, uh, and then go to New York to, to yeah. switch gears. So maybe the, the decision process sure. of that... Um, action yeah. yeah that was a that was another pivotal um, time in my life and and so I rode through university uh, I I got into the US national team as a development athlete so I was on the national what we call national radar now up here in Canada it's like the radar system and uh, I went to camps in the summer uh, I started to do really well and become one of the prospects for you know uh, the national team and, and, you know, world championships and, and that kind of journey. Uh, and I went to the, uh, in the, in the States we have the Olympic festival. So every non-Olympic year, what they do is they get the best from the countries and they, it's, uh, all sports. It's like an Olympic festival. Right. And so I represented the North team. I got selected and my, my partner and I were in a double and we had to go out to LA in 91 and, uh, I won the gold in the, in the lightweight men's double, um, and uh, that was right before the the 92 games and uh you know there was living a childhood dream because it wasn't the olympics uh you know i know adam creek was on and you know he's he's been on the real podium but for me i had the whole like it was treated like it was the olympics you know and gregory peck was handing out the medals and i mean it was it was epic at that time in my life right Mm -hmm. and uh i achieved that and and then I mean, Gregory's no Rob Lowe, but still, Gregory Peck. <laughs> I got to tell you, classic actor. Classic. And what a voice. I mean, Atticus Finch, come on. Yeah, exactly. Come on, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that was a little bit of a, uh, Yeah. Hi. Um, <laughs> and so, I, at that point, though, I, it was a pivotal. I, I got back. I started to coach a little bit, and I was kind of in this, this transition. At that time, uh, they did not have lightweight rowing in the Olympics. It wasn't until 96. Hmm. So I could maintain and, and train again and try to get to the world championships or perhaps even a spot on the 96 team. And I just didn't know if I could commit another four years, you know, a quadrennial cycle or, 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 or not, depending if it was worlds or whatever. But it was being a lightweight athlete meant I had to maintain a certain weight year round. And that was, that was drawing on me too. Well, fit, fitness and weight, right? You got to yeah, be yeah. fit and strong as hell, but mm-hmm. also I, I don't know what the how, like I mean. What the I, well, my race was. weight, my race weight at the time in, in pounds in states, one hundred and fifty four was my race weight. I mean, at that time, I was walking around comfortably at one sixty eight. Mm-hmm. Now I'm solid. I'm one ninety, mm-hmm. and I'm fit. I mean, so you can imagine this frame being yeah, yeah. one hundred fifty four mm-hmm. pounds. Hi. <laughs> Right, and, yeah. and already tired of being the scrawny kid. Yeah, well, right? yeah, right. And right. so that was part right. of it too. Um, anyway, so so that I, I was at a crossroads, and and at the time I was also studying uh, at university, and uh, my <laughs> I have a degree actually. Uh, you ready for this? No, I'm ready. Uh, every, everyone laughs about this in primatology. 
So I worked with monkeys as an undergrad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay, so part of anthropology, but I, yeah. I, I was going to be a, a Jane Goodall at some point. That was what I was thinking. Nice. Uh, so anyway, I was at a pivotal time. The rowing took started to take a back seat, and then I was like, okay, do I want to go for a PhD? And I drove, I got in my car, I drove down to Georgia State University, and I met, I met with this world-renowned husband and wife team, uh, Sue Savage-Rumbaugh. And at the time, she's, st- st- I think she's still alive, uh, at that time, they were world famous for the bonobo chimp, Kanzi. So we all heard of Coco with sign language, mm-hmm. right? Well, yeah. this was a, a, a chimp who used a series of, of lexicon symbols on a keyboard to communicate. So world-renowned. This is the wow. study they were doing, right? So he could hit things and say, Kanzi needs bathroom outside. Like he would put sentences together based on these, these symbols. And so anyway, it was a big thing for me. I got into this lab and I was down there and this is what I was going to do. And I'm like, okay. And I spent a week there. Absolutely amazing in a, in a training facility with, with, you know, chimpanzees. And I was wearing the white lab coat and it was, it was a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I drove back. And on the long drive back from Georgia to Rhode Island, I said, I can't see myself doing this. I can't. I just there's too much of life yet explored to go into something and just be, you know, doing this at, at that point. So I, uh, I decided on a whim to take a few acting courses while I was still coaching at some cheesy little, you know, acting studio. And I say cheesy because it was more like a money scheme. It wasn't like it was like a, a theater, you know, in Rhode Island. It was some cheesy like modeling slash acting company right improv classes yeah kind of but (laughs) you know we can make you a model and we can get you an agent that type of deal and uh, to be honest they did i give them credit (laughs) so anyway uh, i had an opportunity to go to new york and i did and i said screw it and i moved to new york city not knowing a soul um, and you're dad, like, has anyone seen Rob Lowe? Like, does he live? In, <laughs> no, does he looking, live in New York? You're funny or? you say that because I did. I swear to God, I thought I saw him one time, and I actually backtrack. I was on 23rd at 23rd Street, and I backtracked back about a block and a half to see if it was him, and I, I couldn't find him. And you're like, it just turns out there's a lot of good-looking men in New York. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everybody's Rob Lowe. Yeah. Um, just curious before we we continue down that path but yeah. what was it about primates that was of interest i mean it wasn't your your life study but what was it that brought you into that yeah. <laughs> well g- great question well first off i i again tying back to my fantasy and movie stuff i was really into archaeology like so my dad was a, was huge into that so he kind of got me into that so my friends used to call me roadie jim instead of indie right roadie yeah. jim yeah and I, I was like, oh, maybe I'll do archaeology. And then when I went to university, though, at that point, it was all Native uh, American archaeology. And it just didn't, I was more interested in Western and, you know, Roman and Greek and this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just so happened that uh, the professor, my professor, Jim Loy, uh, had, it was, had a behavioral monkey colony on campus. Pattus monkeys, they're African ground monkeys. So, and... Uh, which is very unusual for undergrad. Usually you have to go to graduate school to have access to, to this. And I was just fascinated with, I mean, I've always been a Darwinian and, and you know, mm-hmm. evolution and that, that type of thing. But I've always been fascinated with their social uh, construct in terms of how they interact with themselves. And 
I swear to you, I walked into that facility and there was this female monkey sitting on a on a swing and she had her leg crossed. You know how women sit with their leg crossed and she kind of had it on the and she's sitting there. And I just stood there speechless. I'm like, it's a little person. It's, you know, and then you see how they interact and the social dynamics. And so I was just fascinated. So it was more of a fascination um, and bewilderment about uh, about that at that point. What do you think? I mean, this is reflecting back a while, but is there anything that you think could be applied that you learned from their social societal habits um, that that like enabled further learning or, or understanding of how we as humans interact with one another. Yeah. Don't piss off the females in the group. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Be wary of a scorned woman. Uh, I, I think honestly, the, that's a great question. Social dynamic of, of respect. And and a lot of those, there's those, there's always a hierarchy in those type of uh, systems. And some are, some are male dominant, some are female dominant, depends on the species, right? Uh, but there's always a pecking order by which people give their, I don't want to say input, but in, in terms of their their structure, give, give input to the social group, whether it's uh, food, for, you know, um, contribution that way, or grooming, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and things like that. There's always... There's always a a lesson of of proving and and taking I don't know I've never thought of this, this is a great question and taking like <laughs> mm-hmm. step upon step to to become your role in that society if you will mm-hmm. you know and 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 I think now that you brought this up I think it's there is no entitlement in that mm-hmm. primate society there is no entitlement so perhaps perhaps the study of, of monkeys is never been more relevant. I mean, honestly, honestly, it's very interesting. And, and and in fact, some of the stories you shared, they sound more impressive than a lot of the people I meet online and better writers, <laughs> better. especially than some presidents. <laughs> That's for true. Right? Like it's yeah, it's it's crazy. And, and it's what's really crazy is coming from a world growing up where it's like we frowned on evolution and they said things like we didn't descend from monkeys. OK, I mean. They sound, I mean, they sound pretty impressive. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, know what I mean. I mean, like, I and I, I would it's, never. It's crazy. There's a lot to be learned. There, there's so much yeah. to be learned, and it, it's true. I mean, I think that's why ultimately people are fascinated. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. have you ever met anybody that can turn off uh, a bunch of chimpanzees on a, on the TV interacting? Yeah, for sure. They can't mm-hmm. because they're like instinctively yeah. they know. It's just like look at yeah. what they're doing. Look, there's something they're familiar, right? Yeah. And if you mm-hmm. go to a zoo, where is everybody? I mean, that's a thing. They you want don't have to monkeys. ask where the gorillas are. You that's just look right. for the crowd. That's right. Mm-hmm. They all want the, pro, uh, the, yeah. the primates, for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that pecking order that you speak of, that's kind of just inherent in, in those societies and with the primates, it, for some reason it, it brought to mind um, organizations in our society today and how hmm. we're often um, in organizations talking about flattening them and, and not having kind of a hierarchy but then and and that's kind of the progressive way of building an organization but then when we go when we look back to our our roots and how we are as animals that we naturally um just interact in that way it it begs the question are we meant to have a hierarchy like is Mm. that how we operate best 
as a society, as an organization, whether it's um, in any realm. Well, and this begins a discussion, which could be a whole episode. This, mm-hmm. That would be a very fruitful that, discussion, actually. That is an amazing concept. Very relevant. Because I, I'm yeah. actually reading a book right now um, that talks about interpersonal relationships mm. and 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 kind of that uh, that horizontal approach as opposed to that vertical approach. And, and you know, that's Adler. That's that's the other realm of psychology uh, as opposed to Freud, right? But mm-hmm. it's it's a great question. And... and the short answer is, I don't know. I mean, instinctively, I, I think we are designed to be hierarchy, hierarchical. That's a word. Yeah. But I so. uh, I, that's, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a revisit. Absolutely. Episode, uh, well, and I 2. mean, 0. hierarchies in, in, in our historical past have not always turned out well. Mm-hmm. In fact, often haven't turned out well. And we've seen the extremes. Totally. But are, are we naturally like, right? is that just how we're, throw it all out, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, the yeah. Power can corrupt, but. But I mean, it's not always. It, it's always it doesn't always have to be associated with power, though, or or it's leadership, right? So right. any type there's a yeah. leadership, there's hierarchy as well, mm-hmm. right? Because y- you have people that are born leaders, and some people that aren't, and that's the role, like totally that, agree, you know, and yeah. you know, so it's it's a it begs a really weighty discussion. Well, and people sure. don't mind leaders if they know the leader loves them. And has their best oh, interests yeah. at heart. Well, that, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. P- what people don't like is positional leaders. And and we need leaders. In, in, yeah, of course. Regardless. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's a great discussion. And the, the whole point is, like, uh, any good question should have a degree of the answer being, I don't know. Let, let's let's investigate. Oh, right? I know, right? That's, so, that's the fun part. Yeah. It's, it's also fun pretending to know, Andrew. <laughs> so let's just continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Socrates was wise because he yeah, he knew true. that he didn't know everything. Yeah, very true. Um, <laughs> let's let's get back into. I'm New so York, glad yeah. we went down that Sorry. route. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, in New York, you decided to abandon the monkeys. Yeah. and and go live with the <laughs> chimpanzees. Or, yeah, or yeah, 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 right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I moved to New York. My dad, who grew up in New Jersey, had spent some time in the city, so he kind of went with me and helped me get an apartment. And, mm. and it was a big adventure for me. And um, I took a while to kind of find my bearings, of course, and I stayed in my apartment a lot. And I know there was some fear there that I had to overcome. And um, I met somebody. I met a, a guy who was a publicist, uh, Leonard Fink. And uh, he used to manage, he used to do publicist for Tony Bennett. And we met in a function and nice. we kind of hit it off. And he was talking about writing. And so basically we said, hey, let's write a one-man show. I need an acting vehicle. So him and I co-wrote a one-man show. And uh, lo and behold, it ran for nine months. Really? Off nice. Broadway. What was and, the name of the show? Uh, Schools of Fish. Nice. Schools of Fish. Can you... Can yeah. you give us maybe the concept and and maybe a Couple line oh, a line out of schools of fish? Dude, this is going back a long time. <laughs> you probably still remember it. I'm so I, I'll tell you what: it was centered around three characters. So I played three characters on stage in different segments. Alfred Holderman. I can't even remember. Frank Green was the last character, and and Warren Hutchinson was the second character. So nice. Alfred Holderman was a cult leader. Yeah. So he was kind of a, a late night spinster. Had this uh, family of the host thing he was he was doing. So I used the audience interactively as my followers that showed up for the quick fix in life, nice. right? Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, then uh, and it 
And so he, you know, at one point he had the juice and everyone was to drink the juice and he was toasting everybody, right? <laughs> then uh, I came on as the second character, completely different, Warren, who was now a DA trying the first character on second degree murder because the juice contained dexedrine and someone had an adverse reaction and, and died in, in his flock that came to uh, whatever. And so then I used the audience members as uh, members of the jury, in a sense, talking to them, right? pleading my closing argument. And then the third character I came on was Frank Green, who was a backwoods pig farmer <laughs> who saw things completely different and, and basically countered Warren's accusations saying that ultimately, look, you know what? We're human beings. We're not animals. We're all responsible for our decisions. No one made that woman drink the juice. There's no such thing as brainwashing and this and that. And... Uh, and that was kind of the concept, schools of fish, right? We all kind yeah. of swim aimlessly following because the great, the unique thing about it was, you know, you, you get this first character who kind of is the, is you got to love him because he's so out there, like Tom Cruise and some of these, like Magnolia and kind of, you know, like mm -hmm. just yeah, out yeah. there. And then, and then Warren comes on and gives this heartfelt, emotional thing where you're, you're like, fuck, he's guilty. This guy's guilty. Then you get Frank who comes on, who's this uneducated pig farmer who says things completely opposite. And you're like, he's right. Hmm. And so ultimately, it's like you got to think for yourself, you know. Yeah. And so it was an amazing journey. Uh, and uh, nine months it ran on stage. It was, it was fun. What were some of the more notable connections you made through that? Uh, you mean like celebrity-wise or... Just, Probably John has a slight fascination. You know what? Celebrity. I use the word notable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I leave for you to interpret. <laughs> no, just ones that stuck with you that were that was like uh, that was cool. I would have never met this person without doing this. Well, to be honest with you, I can't I can't think of anybody from the run of schools of fish mm -hmm. that led to to other gigs and or right. doorways into. To hosp the hospitality world, and okay. and then of course, I mean, yeah, like you know, I was hobnobbing, and you know, I've had drinks with Colin Farrell, and uh, all right, all right, there we go. Burn, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I you know, we can talk about, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> Robin Williams. I just thought if I use the word notable, of, some cool stories would come out. Well, I got I got a couple stories for you, but oh. anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, the hospitality world is definitely one that, that I wanted to dig into as well. Uh, it's something that I'm pretty familiar with, not in New York or L.A., but, you know, in Canada's New York, the greater Victoria. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Canada's New York. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. But, um, yeah, I definitely have a background in that. And, and hospitality can come. Uh, it definitely has its benefits, and there's money to be made mm -hmm. for sure. And, and you know, you, you went to hospitality because acting wasn't paying all the bills um and and there's great connections you can make and and you can you know put on a show and be a star and and at, at the same time provide service to people and give them an experience there's a ton of a ton of wonderful things about hospitality mm -hmm. but also there's like a bit of a tax that you pay personally at least in my experience and, and those of a lot of people who i know um in terms of the lifestyle and the hours and you get pretty wrapped up in it and, and all of the the good times that go along with that. So I wonder 
if you could speak to your experience with that that balance or yeah. lack thereof in hospitality and, and in that culture. But first, Colin Farrell, please. <laughs> well, that's because... actually L.A., but you want to wait for the Colin story? Okay, yeah, as long as we hear it, because okay. I guarantee my wife's going to listen to this and be like, why didn't you push him to talk about Colin Farrell? That's super interesting. And I'd be like, I don't know, because we were following I can talk him. about Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, too. I have a really good story about The Rock, actually. Yes, please. I used to okay. lift weights with The Rock. True story. Nice. Okay, um, those are very cool. But maybe, yeah, Andrew, great question. For I know, Andrew. Let's, <laughs> let's go down now. Then we'll come back. So... <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, You know what, though? I mean, which we'll we'll talk about later. You know, now I can look back and, and, you know, it was another thing that allowed me to have have an an identity. I always wanted to be somebody, right or wrong, at at that point in my life. You know, what did the hospitality industry offer me? You know, it, it offered me the opportunity to, like you said, to to be a star on that stage. You know, uh, I, I never bartended before. And I, it's funny now, I just thought of this too, another movie, Cocktail. Remember Cocktail oh, with Tom yeah. Cruise? Tom Cruise. Well, I said, well, fuck, well, why can't I bartend? Yeah. You know? And so um, I did. I went to a bartending quick, like, week class in New York City because I never bartended. And I got a job at, at, a, at a pub around the corner. And I started slinging drinks and then, of course, you get in that life and, and those are, you know, that pub was a six at night to four in the morning shift, you wow. know. Because yeah. as an actor, yeah, you got to supplement your income. That's that's mm-hmm. what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the great thing was is that that led to to working at higher profile places and all of a sudden running them and managing them uh, and then opening opening them. And all of a sudden, some of them were celebrity hotspots. So, yeah, all, all of a sudden I found my... I was somebody on that stage. I was like, oh, we know Jim. We can come in and see Jim, you know, or oh. I'm walking around all fancy dancy or, you know, behind the bar slinging drinks and a tie and a vest and, you know, doing that. And, and you know, you, you, now I look back and it, again, it was a false sense of attention at that point. I didn't see it. I was like, well, all right, well, I'm not making any, I'm not getting any accolades acting at the moment maybe you know this is it and it's paying the bills right um but it's an interesting dynamic i never fell down thank god i never fell down the rabbit hole of drugs and drinking like a lot of people do in that industry Mm -hmm. right um because i came off of the rowing again which set me up as kind of this health Mm -hmm. guy and so you know i was hitting the gym every day and Mm -hmm. i wanted to be fit uh and so I never went down that road. I, I was never really the guy that had to go after shift, go out and unwind for two hours, having drinks. I just went home and went to bed like that. That was just me, you know. Um, that doesn't mean I didn't didn't have a few nights behind the bar, you know, half zooted, having some fun. I mean, you know, like a couple shots for you, a couple shots for me. I mean, that's what we do back in the day too, you know. The way you describe it, you know, was such, such you know, colorful language i could just picture it you know the slinging and the talking and the the, the little bow tie and oh. all that kind of stuff it almost sounds like another one of those characters you created yes and in this, a way right and you see, this is exactly yeah. the epiphany that i've had over the last three years which is i've never been myself mm-hmm. until now i've always wanted some identity with the characters and you're right it was it was like out of the movies. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, these swanky places in New York where people are coming in and mm-hmm. and you're running the show and music's pumping and yeah, it's yeah. it's that in itself is addictive. 
and even yeah so athletics as well has that similar characteristic of of performance mm-hmm. you're you're performing as an actor or as an athlete you but you're not just being yourself right. so it's that like it's it's that whole identity piece of of creating an identity that is kind of separate from mm-hmm. the the truth or the essence. Yeah, and I think Adam mentioned it on the podcast, Adam Creek, when he talked about, I think he was talking with a bunch of his boatmates, and was like, this is like being addicted. They talked about right. the drug addiction. Yeah, he did, yeah. Right? And it's, just, yeah. yeah, it's the same thing. I remember it even as a master's athlete the last 12 years. It is an addiction, and it's a set, it's a false sense of something, or, or it's a set. I don't want to say false sense, but it's a it's it's another outlet or another way to to get some identity with who you are, and and yeah, back then it's you know it, it was an addiction, you know, and it in of itself working at the right place, I I think how helps, which I was fortunate enough to have some really cool places to 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 work at. Well, it makes me think too, like it was it got you this, it got you so far. You know, it got you off the floor, so to speak. Yeah. From the bathroom floor. Like having those movies, those iconic characters that like spoke to you and inspired you to do things. I mean, I bet you would have never believed you'd be slinging drinks in New York or or doing a one-man Broadway show, right? Uh, So those things got you so far, but kind of that next level of becoming who you really are Mm. is is a different kind of work. Oh, that's a completely different kind of work. So at least perhaps it was better than perhaps those first number of years where you felt maybe more worthless or, or weak or, or this identity you didn't identify with, but it wasn't, it didn't allow you to completely come to your true self. I don't know. Yeah. You I, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> you're, well, you're right. And I think it, it's almost, I look at it like every decade of my life has been kind of a stepping stone uh, of growth, if you will. Uh, the one thing I will say though, about all that time, you know, spending 12 years in New York City before going to L.A. was it It was about wanting, wrongly, wanting to be recognized. Mm-hmm. Wanting, wanting to be somebody as opposed to being comfortable being you, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that yeah. goes back to that childhood kid of sitting there and just wanting to, to be the one that... I was watching somebody else, mm-hmm. whether it was an athlete or somebody uplifting me. I wanted that effect on someone else. Yeah, yeah. That's what I wanted. Hmm. Is that a bad thing? I mean, in in of itself, and you know, that's it's a picture of success in in some regards. When when you as a child you're looking up to someone, and then you get to become that. But I think the the challenge is when it's um, when it's not aligned, when it's not, mm. when you're not actually chasing what's what's truly important or meaningful, and and you're going after someone else's depiction of fulfillment. So there you go. That's yeah. it. Hmm. Well, I guess we're done then. So I know so. that was, that was <laughs> no. a mic drop right there, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> something you said in in your notes um, about when you were in LA, you basically you you went there. It's my understanding more of the hospitality um, in that role than in in the acting, but maybe I mean it's L.A., so mm-hmm. it's both, right? It's the it's the celebrity and it's the lifestyle, and then at some point there you you said something about leaving all your dreams behind or something of that note. Mm-hmm. So I I wanted to before kind of getting into 
this decade yes. of gym, yeah. I wanted to just invest. Yeah. Um, well, I you know, twelve years in New York, and and I was fortunate enough to to uh, make some money to to get some acting gigs to work. Uh, at some high-profile places and, and building some notoriety, at least in the hospitality world too. So so much so that I always had options to go to LA, come open up this place, come open up this place, to come consult, you know, things like that. So, twelve years in New York. I mean, I was there during nine eleven. You know, I I'm, I remember that like it was yesterday. That wow. whole experience. And uh, do you want to describe that a little yeah, bit for us as, for as, sure. as Canadians on the West Coast? Sure. Here, but, but we were as wrapped up in it, yeah. at, you know, as the world was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was I was living on the Upper West Side at that point in a small studio apartment right up on 68th and West Broadway, I believe it was. Um, and I was just on my way back from the gym. And uh, I remember this because it was an old brownstone that I was I was renting. And I remember coming back from the gym, looking up and going, my God, it's not a cloud in the sky. What an amazing day. One of those blue sky moments, right? Just epic. Perfect temperature. Got upstairs, <clears throat> walked in, sat down, turned the TV on. And I always turn the Today Show on with Matt Lauer and Katie Couric. And- mm-hmm. And there was one of the towers with some smoke coming out of it. And it said, small Cessna, blah, blah, blah. You know? It's like, oh. And then next thing you know, like every other person in the world, I didn't move from that TV and I watched the whole thing happen. And it was just surreal because I was, I guess it's probably two and a half miles removed down to the tip of Manhattan, something like that. I was live, but watching it on a TV just bizarre, you know, mm-hmm. and that whole thing. And, and I remember going for like going for a walk and then coming outside, like just stunned, <laughs> just stunned and, and seeing people walk around, you know what it looked like, it looked like the walking dead. Okay. Cause everyone's just like this walking around and it would look like there were walkers everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, just going, what the fuck? And I remember one of the the more iconic things that I remember was, uh, you know, when you're up up towards Midtown, it's always it's a slight downhill to to Manhattan. Well, no transit was running, and so there were just herds of people walking up the the, the avenues, mm-hmm. right? And it was just like it was like a mass exodus, and it was just, and you could start to smell around noon. Ish, I think it was. You could start to get this smell in the air up there. Um, and that night, I I remember another memory I just have is is no one wanted to be inside. Yeah, hmm. everyone wanted to be with others, and so people were going to bars, and and people were just talking. You know, and and I think we, you and I before the podcast. Andrew, we talked about that essence of communication, that essence of 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 getting back to to being conversations, and this event caused that. Mm-hmm. It was sad, but it was still a profound moment, right? At, ultimately, that we're all connected. <clears throat> yeah. 
So it was, uh, and I remember calling my dad and I actually got through, let him know I was okay. I mean, um, you know, I didn't, thankfully, not that I know of, I didn't have any friends or colleagues that were down there. Um, I did have one gentleman who was in post-production with editing uh, at, at a company called Blackwatch Studios down there. He was right there. Uh, and about a month later, he shared some pictures he took, you know, yeah. um, just, 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 Awful. just un unbelievable. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, just an amazing, amazing experience. I mean, uh, amazing meaning I'm, I'm to live that, you know, I think it's, it, it's ingrained in me that, that memory and some of those, those memories that just mean a lot to me. Right. Do you think any part of you changed that day? Yeah, of course. Right. Um, yeah. I, I honestly, I, I think I lost some innocence that day, to be honest with you. I kind of, I was always kind of a happy go lucky kind of like I always glass half full. And I think that started to coincide with me getting frustrated about where I was in life at that point and then seeing something like that and I remember it 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 caused me to be angry walking on the streets a lot where I started to catch myself judging people and 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 carrying the weight of just anger about my situation perhaps choices that I made or or Maybe I should have done this versus this. And then also on the bigger picture, you know. So, uh, you know, that was, that, was, that was something, you know. Almost this reminder that there's more going on. Yeah. And, you, and know? you know, I get caught up. We all get caught up in our own shit. Mm -hmm. And really, it, we're insignificant mm -hmm. to the greater good, really, mm -hmm. in a sense. You know, um, we have to do our part, but... When we're self-absorbed to that point, it's not a good thing. No, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a shame that an event like that has to snap so many people out of it. So, well, thank, thanks for sharing. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. I appreciate that. Um, mm -hmm. so, so L.A. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, we we, we asked. So yeah, thank um, you. Uh, so I was at the time with my partner who who became my wife we we drove across new uh across the states made a road trip out of it to move to LA and, and at that point uh it was because i needed a change of scenery i was frustrated in the business you know i thought well i got some credits new york credits which are legit like everyone talks about new york being like the place to go to build yourself right and then i had you know so i'll go out there and and then, uh, you know, I got some work opportunities to open up some some uh, bar restaurants out there, right? So I took it. So we we drove out there, and uh, and then just started to to live. So I, in LA for two years, and and uh, first year I lived on Hollywood Boulevard. Wow. <laughs> wow. So you know, right next to Rock and Ralph's, which is the famous. Uh, you know, 80s icon, and and uh, I got a tattoo at one of the famous studios at Molly Crew. I got their tats at. And, <laughs> nice. You know, so you're living on, you're seeing some of these things that you know. I grew up in the 80s, so I'm like, holy f, like this, 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 and 
And then the second year we moved to uh, Burbank. Uh, I always say Burbank because I usually say Burnaby by default because we lived in Burnaby <laughs> later, <laughs> um, right next to Warner Brothers uh, Studio. But it was it was amazing. It was a different, completely different world out there. Like the real, you know, the the the, the realism of New York and and you know. No one, everyone's a straight shooter and all that is kind of left to the side. And now it's this kind of fluff and some of the bullshit that we hear about stereotypical with L.A., you know. I was going to say, like, often on TV shows and, and movies, like, there, there's this almost this competition between New yeah. York and L.A., right? Yeah. Almost like the New Yorkers sort of look down on people when they go to L.A. or something. Or, that's, you know, it, I've, it I've never been to New York. I'd love to go, but... Uh... It yeah. is, you know, it's it's because New York's the place you go. It's just grittier, right. right? So you build your, you build who you are in New York. It defines you, you know. And I then you go that. out to LA, and everyone's driving, and everyone's got the fancy cars, and they're right, everyone's associated right. by what car they drive, which is the truth, mm. you know. And everyone looks a certain way, and you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's. To, to, I love LA as well. It just doesn't have the sense of realism that New York has, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I mean, it's kind of built on like Hollywood is all about like the opposite of realism it's it's yeah. all an act right it's true so. it's true and and that's the thing you know you walk in my time there it's like who's you know are these people really real mm-hmm. you know and right. then you get caught up in that bullshit and that's that's part that's what happened you know i uh i i reached a point where mm-hmm. you know i was tired of rejection and that's a big part of the business you know uh you go out there and you know, I started working and and booking a few jobs, and then you're you know you're you're on hold for all these jobs, and nothing comes through, and you just get tired of that, tired of that, you know. And so, um, and at that point in my life, you know, that big knock on the door comes when you're like, wouldn't it be just easier to do what normal people do? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So when when you said walking away from your dreams is is that is that what you mean basically like just being like you know what enough is enough yeah yeah you know enough is enough meaning it's time to to cut the cord and and you know I I got married and and my wife uh, at the time who, who's an amazing person is is all about financial security and and you know paving the way for the future and here I am as kind of like an artist and a struggling artist like I'm I, I'm you know not used to that so there was some pressure there and and I I see that you know she was right uh, uh, some of the insecurities that I had too like it, you know my passion for acting was there don't get me wrong in other words I, I wanted to inspire, make people laugh, make people cry, make people think. I love getting into roles. And just uh, as you know, Jim Carrey talks about and, and the late, great Robin Williams, it, it becomes an escape because you're not comfortable with who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's what it was for me. And it was like, it was about being the notoriety and the accolades. And my wife called me on it and she was right. You know, now I can say that she was right. Like, you know, I wanted that attention. I wanted it. You know, I craved it. That was my drug. Right? Um, and so yeah. walking away from that was a step. It was a first step to get to start 
slowly, because <laughs> it took a long time to slowly <laughs> reconnect with who I was. Well, and the withdrawals from the drug, right? Like walking away, I, I can only imagine there was withdrawals. Well, because don't forget, I mean, you know, I'm hanging out with Colin. Well, so I, <laughs> so I, I want to jump ahead, but I was going to say, before I made that transition, this, give John at this least was one be my transition. celebrity I was be story. Like, and what advice did Colin give you? <laughs> or, or Dwayne? Well, Dwayne was New York. Dwayne was amazing. We actually, <laughs> we could go on sidebars all day long. But, but Dwayne, Dwayne is the, nicest coolest guy you would ever meet so he actually is because you hear that he he is like uh, i met him at the time where he just started his saturday night live kind of skits so it was 99 ish 2000 he was kind of starting to separate from the wrestling world before the scorpion king his first movie but i know but (laughs) you could tell that he had charisma and talent and so at that time uh, on 54th street we uh, i worked out at a gym called prescriptive fitness which later became golds but at that time it was prescriptive fitness and he was there one day and i'm working out and he asked me he just came up to me and said could you spot me wow i'm like sure so i spotted him doing incline chest so we started talking then, proceedingly, he'd started calling me Jimmy when he'd come in. And, Jimmy, yeah, come and work out with me. All right. So then we started working out together. Wow. Right? It was, it was a really cool thing. So whenever he came into New York and, and he went to that gym, um, you know, I saw him periodically. I, and, I mean, I'm going to say maybe six, seven, eight times, something like that. But when, but when The Rock calls you by Jimmy, yeah. and no one in my life other than my mom ever called me <laughs> Jimmy, right? Just yeah. wasn't me. Uh, I'm like... Cool. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so that was that was the the, the rock story. That's awesome. Um, but in LA, yeah, you know, like you talked about the part of that addiction and leaving that addiction was all my life. I wanted to kind of hobnob and and I respected certain actors. Like, um, and here I was running a um, being involved with two celebrity driven restaurants. They were uh, right across the street. One was Koi, which and that time was probably the biggest celebrity restaurant going. It was uh, Sushi Place, Koi. And I actually opened Koi New York uh, when I was in New York. So I opened their New York uh, restaurant and, and bar. And right across, the owners bought a, a, a restaurant, and we called it Bridge. So it was literally across the street. So I, I went in and opened up Bridge and, and all that. So we had influx of people coming in left, right, and center. And being the, the, the lounge manager... I get to talk to people, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and some people I'd be like, Hey, and then there were some that I was like, wow. And, and, uh, uh, so with Colin, for example, I had literally two days before I had just watched, uh, the new world. I don't know if you, if oh, you're yeah. familiar with Terrence Malick. Yeah, I, I, I love Terrence Malick, okay. man. Tree of life. Oh, it's oh. probably my favorite movie. Yeah. My, yeah. <laughs> oh, my yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Tree of Life. Yeah, Tree yeah. of Life rocks my world every yeah, time I see it. For sure. Um, I should probably watch that then, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's, I told Andrew about it. <laughs> it's epic. It really is. It really is. You'd, yeah. you'd be into it big time. And you yeah. know a Malick almost immediately. Oh. Within the first five minutes, just the music and the yep. cinematography, you're yeah. like, this is Terrence Malick. Is I bet you. Malicky in it. Yeah. So I had just watched it and I was like, wow, like. I, if you love Malik, you love Malik. If you don't, you don't. Absolutely. But, right? Yeah, and yeah. so I was like, wow. And Colin happened to come in and I was just like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go up to him and because I know he gets all the bullshit, you know, mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm like, hey, dude, I just wanted to say, I didn't say dude. <laughs> Whatever I said at the point, right? <laughs> I probably said, hey, Colin. Yeah. I yeah. said, uh, you know what, man? I, I just watched The New World a couple days ago. 
And I got to tell you, it blew me away. And I don't know why people don't talk about it more. And, and it's, mm-hmm. I found it very poetic. And he looked at me and he just, you could tell that I triggered something in him that he did not expect or usually gets. And he just, he anchored in me and just looked me in the eyes. He said, it is poetic. Mm-hmm. And thank you very much. What's your name, Jim? Oh, yeah, you're the manager. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. And we just started talking and, and he was just like, it was one of the highlights of his career being in, in a Terrence Malick movie. Oh, wow. What a cool story. And it really was. And the funny thing was, is he left because he went to the restaurant side. He came back a couple minutes later and he gave me a $20 bill because I gave him a drink. He goes, he goes, here. Oh, by the way, here. He goes, that's not for liking my movie either. <laughs> and, you know, but he was just like, thanks, Jim. And I was like, yeah, no problem, man. And, and just an amazing guy. How surreal know? would that be though? Watching the movie, being being emotionally engaged, and then the very actor Two walking later. a couple days later. Man, oh you man, know that's wow. Um, and cool. I I shared a shot of tequila with Robin Williams. That's one of my mm. uh, one of my moments. Mm. Poor Robin. Oh man. Could yeah. you see the pain? Yeah. In him. Yeah. Because he, unfortunately, I mean, he came to the bar probably three or four times during the course of dinner to have. Uh, another shot right uh Mm -hmm. he could tell that he was suffering poor guy Mm -hmm. Uh, but just amazing guy just Mm -hmm. gentle soul yeah you know um and uh trying to think what other i mean actually here's a i'll give you a little thing about my wife jen at the time my wife uh she uh her claim to fame she used to nanny for britney spears no mm. way. Yeah. Wow. Well, somebody had to do it, right? Somebody had to do it, yeah. Yeah, so that was her claim to fame, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's funny because I came from, from the production and film background and she kind of came from the music and she had a lot of friends in that, that spectrum of, of work, if you will, uh, producers and things that she actually were good friends with. So, yeah, so that was a whole another bizarre thing. It's just you, you can see how you can lo- easily lose your sense of identity and realism mm-hmm. in a world like that. Oh, and I only had a taste of of what these people go through on a day to day basis. Yeah, so I'd love to get into the the road, the journey into reestablishing that or, or finding that that truth. And um, and I, I know you you went first to, to the mainland to Vancouver, mm-hmm. um, and then came over. To the island, and I, I got the gist. And correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, but it seemed like once once you got back to the island or came to the island, that's when that self work um, really started paying dividends. Yeah, you know, this is this is the toughest chapter of my life, to be honest with you. Um, so I moved up to Vancouver, uh, and I'll I'll try to condense this for you. Right, I, I, I le- we left LA. We drew up drove up in a U-Haul with my three-month-old daughter who was born in LA. We drove up here, we moved here, uh, I had to get my papers, so we stayed here on the island for about eight months with our parents. And then we moved to the mainland and uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, should I delve into the acting? And so I did a little bit and I never booked anything. I was always on hold again, so here was this whole rejection thing. And so I was like, screw this. And mm-hmm. um, that's when I got back into the rowing world so 15 years later, whatever it was, all of a sudden I got a job coaching because uh, I was getting this transition. And then it became a, the biggest thing in my life again. Now, looking back, another 
false sense of identity or another trying to be somebody, you know? And so I needed to finish some business that I didn't uh, finish when I was in my early 20s, right? During rowing. So as a master's athlete, I started training and started training and going nuts and training 16 hours a week and, uh, you know, in my 40s, in addition to working full-time, in addition to having a family, putting everything secondary and, and trying to achieve things and, and did. I mean, I, I, I've had, I don't even know, probably over 80 top three finishes in North America in my rowing career as a master's athlete. You know, I was one of the top people here in North America in, for my age in, in that bracket, let's say. And coached and, and, and I loved what I was doing because I was inspiring and coaching. I forgot. I got connected to, to contributing back and that's what was lacking when I was in New York and LA is I didn't have, I wasn't inspiring. I wasn't motivating. That's something as a natural born leader that I, that's always been ingrained in me. And so, however, though, you know, life, it's like, well, I got to make money. I got two kids. I got this, I got that. I'm not happy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. It's not really what I want to do. Do I, I should have been doing this or in LA I was doing this in New York. I was doing this. Look at me now. Like here I am, you know, and just a lot of bullshit that we all put, put ourselves through mentally. Uh, and then I was like, fuck it, let's move to the Island. And, and I got a job, I got a hospitality position, right. To try to, find my sense of normalcy again, mm. right? And, you know, like, it was amazing. And it, 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 yet, it put me back into the exact thing that you said, Andrew, earlier about that lifestyle. It put me back into a lifestyle where all of a sudden I was like, hey, I was somebody. And fuck, like, it destroyed me. It actually destroyed me because I, I made some bad choices, Mm-hmm. You know, um, my marriage started to fail. Uh, and of course, then it's, it becomes a catalyst. Everything else just starts snowballing, right? You start having self-doubt. You start questioning things. You become unhappy. What the fuck am I doing? I want to do this. I don't know. You, you can't even see the forest through the trees. Like you can't. So the term, it destroyed me. I'm... I want to dig into that a little bit and, and curious, like what part of you it destroyed? Cause there's a sense of a bit of like an, an ego death kind of experience here. And, and like how, what your role in that destruction was. I fed it. So you're right. I mean, Ryan holiday said it best. He goes the enemy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was somebody. So at the end of the day, guys, you know, I struggled with trying to be somebody as opposed to being content with who I am. And here I got thrust into a position, a high a high position again, where everybody gave me attention. Everybody. Here comes, you know, at that time, Jen and Jim from LA and Jen's done this and Jim's done that and you know, move into a small town and, you know, it's, it's all bullshit. And then I wasn't happy and I fed it. So I made choices that were not in alignment with who I am instinctively or who I want to be, who I've strived, who I realize the true Jim is. Uh, and, you know, um, 
it destroyed. So it destroyed a part of my life, meaning a good destroyed. So in other words, it started to rip down the ego sense to allow the 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 bud of the true gym to start to kind of come through the concrete, if you will. Okay, so that's good. But in that wake of of damage, <laughs> collateral damage, went a marriage, went uh, infidelity, you know, issues with that, um, self-sabotage in terms of career moves and or things like that, you know, um, to the point where I knew I knew something had had to change. And so it was interesting, you know, you talk about you talk about people change, addicts change, people change when they get rock bottom, when they the pain becomes too much. Um, I didn't hit it back then. I hit it in the last two years. So it was interesting because when the destruction started to happen, it was still destroying, yet I could see that this is not who I wanted to be and I started to do some work amidst the destruction. Follow me? Mm -hmm. And then it got to a point where I decided to leave my marriage and my two kids and have the courage to do that and the courage to face up to the skin that I had now shed. That's when I hit the rock bottom. That's when everything was taken away. And the realization of, okay, it's not about the accolades. It's not about being the life of the party or um, seeking attention and, 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 and um, having people want to be around you. Uh, it's none of that. It's, 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 it's not about having getting six gold medals in a weekend at a championship regatta. It's not. You know, it's, it's about being at peace with with the moment um, and understanding that, you know, to truly be happy, you have to, you have to be willing to just sit with yourself and have conversations. And I, and I never did that. So I'm going to ask this a bit facetiously, but like, how is it possible that working out with the rock and talking with Colin Farrell and slinging drinks in New York and getting gold medals isn't enough? Like I would think, we all think, oh, if I could just get one of those things, then I would arrive and I could be content and look at myself in the mirror and, and, and be happy with who I am. Why aren't those things enough? Like we read about that these things aren't enough. Why did you have to go through that experience to learn that that wasn't enough? What is it Because that it doesn't give us? Because there's no contribution there. 
So those are all accolades for myself. Those all make me feel good. Make me feel worthy. Right? What really gives worth to me is being in, of contribution or as people say of service to mm. others that's mm. that's what lights my fire mm. you know um, so yeah like yeah you're right like I have I have friends back home that can't believe the life that I lived and, and, and my stories and journeys and yet you know I, I, I look at them and say hey you know, look at your life. You got it. You got everything. You know, you're happy. You're content. You know, um, you found, I have a, a friend who's got, you know, has his true life partner, just true love, you know, and, uh, and there's something to be said for that. In terms of that rock bottom moment when kind of everything had been stripped away and the facade really... Um, the image that you were giving was like all, all of that status and appearance and success that you'd worked for and brought up with LA or from LA and um, it had all been kind of torn away and you were left with nothing but also perhaps that not nothing but like a bare essence or it was you know it, all that fakeness and um, you know posturing and, and whatever it could be described as it, it was gone and, and you were left with just the core. And I'm wondering if you can describe a little bit of that moment and, and the, how you started to take those steps back up off the rock bottom. Well, it's for, it's, it's never an instant thing. Number one. Yeah. I don't I don't believe it ever it is. And and so thank God, I in retrospect, thank God that I did a bunch of work prior to hitting that point. Um You're what, asking you're, what kind of work? I'm just, yeah, just Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. The, thank you for that. Uh well, self-growth work. So, uh when we first met, I think I told you how I I fell I found a rich roll Rich Roll's podcast and and I started doing things like that because I knew instinctively I'm a better person than this. Morally alignment, core values, that whole thing. And I wanted I wanted to expose myself to as much inspirational and motivational stimulation as possible. And that was a big thing for me. Uh, and so then I started to find out about meditation and, and um, you know, mindfulness and well, uh, wellness protocol and, and all those spirituality, for lack of a better term, okay? And that was something mm -hmm. that I never really gravitated towards, right? And so it just really resonated with me. And so I started to do that work, read the books, listen, have those deep conversations with myself uh, make it a top of mind awareness because the first step to changing anything in life is awareness. Number one, you have to be aware of whatever it is. And so it took me a bunch of years to create that sense of awareness. And now it's like, okay, 
this is what I don't like. This is what I feel really resonates and aligns with, with who I want to be. And, uh, you know, and that's how I, I got into creating the inspirational 30, that television show that, you know, that I had for two seasons, whereby I surrounded myself and had people on just like you to have those powerful stimulus conversations that ultimately really try to make people better mm-hmm. um, in whatever facet that works or resonates with each of us. You know, I, 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 I actually, I will speak for the two of you. I guarantee you that you are better people because of the people you've had on your podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah, undoubtedly. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So the same for me. And, and so it just so happened that there was a bunch of work and, and then it was just like, it was pushing me to the point where I was like, I need to, this whole thing doesn't work for me and I need to leave that. So that was the catalyst to then push me <laughs> down into the abyss of fuck. Okay. Now I had the courage and, and, and sack to walk away from everything and start over, if you will. Holy shit. <laughs> you know, and, and then, you know, everyone has their own journey when they leave a marriage and stuff and kids and, and that's each, each person's journey. And it's as painful and, and whatever it is for them. Uh, for me... I will tell you, I had those stereotypical moments where I was on the floor, sobbing, broken, humiliated, um, in pain, guilt, you know, losing my kids in a sense for that period of time, losing myself, you know, turning to, to alcohol to, to help numb that. Because as I said earlier, like I didn't, I never did any of that shit, right? Never. So, you know, my rock bottom was my rock bottom and, and the climb out has been absolutely amazing. Tough, tough, Mm -hmm. but amazing. So the the wonderful thing about your story, where there's so many wonderful things is it, it almost sounds like you, you had a couple rock bottom moments. The first being that time um, when you when you you woke up with paramedics around you and you said, "I am not going to be that kid again," and you became this almost Rob Lowe, Tom Cruise esque type character for many years and did achieve some incredible things. Um, and then, but then this, but but your words, you know, it w- was very you know self grandiose and connected to yourself. But that's the second one now um, is almost now moving you towards others and moving you towards something larger than yourself. And so it's almost sounds like the real rock bottom moment, you know, and, and this, Mm -hmm. and you talked about the sobbing and stuff. I I was losing myself, but it sounds like that's a good thing, right? Because you're losing this self that was, um, I think you're grieving that that you, yeah, this egoic, like this, this character, this, uh, but knowing that, you know, the real gym, in there wasn't fully actualized right and now it sounds like you're climbing back towards that 
I am. Um, it's such a it's such a I am. It's, a, it's a hero's journey story. It, it's it's a it's it's this yeah. It's it a, is. I mean, it a, is. A and, I, and I say that with no ego. It it is yeah. because you know, like it takes courage for and, and absolutely everybody can do this. And too many people, too many people listening to this are stuck themselves. They have their own journey that they're not. Yeah, they're not in alignment. Too many people in this day just aren't aligned with their, their true selves, right? Um, and they won't take the courage to to do that. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to leave their marriage that's not happy. Like that's that's something different. But everyone's got micro little stories that that still they, that handcuff them, and no one should be handcuffed. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, it, you might have just answered this question, but. Part of the hero's journey, and and I agree, calling it the hero's journey isn't egoic because we all can choose to be on our own hero's journey. But part of that is bringing back some sort of lesson or mm. teaching to the the greater good, the the community around us. And I'm wondering if you were uh, able to describe that. Yeah. What might that lesson? What might Jim's lesson be? Well, I'm first off. I'm blessed, as you know, to be now uh, in a company called Leaps on Strategies. And looking back at my journey, <laughs> uh, everything has led to this point over the last few years with them in terms of coaching, inspiring, motivating life experiences, running hospitality, running businesses. Um, understanding what people go through personally and professionally everything has led me to to what I do now which is absolutely amazing right and, and so we talk about contribution that I'm living this daily and it's truly amazing uh, f- for Jim you know what if I don't have a method I don't have my own methodology like you know some some people will come on and say well it's the uh, so-and-so of this, and this is what I swear by. Fuck, it, it is what it is for each of us. And I'll tell you, for me, um, I was thinking about this the other day. It's really, it's, it's four C's, four C-letter words that, uh, that come to me. And, 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 and first is courage, number one. Um, again, getting back to what we were talking about, um, Adler and psychology, I mean, it's, it's the courage that's that's their keystone to change that everybody can change everybody can change whatever they want to do if provided they just have the courage and muster the courage to do so one uh, it's one of the core elements of the stoic philosophy as well it's it, one of the four for stoics yeah that's it right and so which you got the book right here i do i got one of them yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. which is a good one to recommend the daily to the stoic listeners. yeah yeah uh, courage uh, confidence and and confidence is every and the, I hate when people say I have no confidence everybody has confidence they just sometimes they have to reconnect to it we've all had moments in our lives which build what I call residual confidence right it may be tucked away but we all have small wins right we all we all have made decisions that we're proud of those are confidence building things confidence consistency it's work. Work is work and it's consistent application. You're not going to be riding high every day. You're not going to be solving the world's problems every day, but it's a consistent awareness and a consistent state towards that. And 
the fourth C that I, I lose contribution. Uh, I, you know, we are here to contribute to the betterment of others. Um, I, to be of service is what I used to say. And, and actually I find to be of service is still an act where I feel like, uh, contribution is more of a selfless kind of way or a way of being of living. I don't, I don't, I don't know how I can say that. It just resonates with me. So that's what I choose to do uh, as opposed to service. So that's it. And, um, you have to do the deep work and that's where the courage comes in. Yeah. It it makes me think like those four things are so intertwined. Like it's not like start with courage, then move to this, then move to this, but they're just such like a tapestry. Yeah. A tapestry. And, And just the whole idea of like the confidence comes from contributing. Oh, that's how we gain confidence. Absolutely. Is, is that offering something bigger than ourselves to somebody else? Mm-hmm. Um, because, because, you know, it's a pretty confident image of, you know, slinging drinks, right? Uh, and maybe you were confident, but maybe the confidence looks a little different now. And, and where would you say that, you know, it, it could come from anywhere, that, that core little piece of confidence? Where do you think that when you need to draw on it to, to inspire the courage, where, where do you dig down into? Mm-hmm. That's a great, great question too. Uh, you know that I've been blessed and fortunate to have a lot of confidence builders in my life. Meaning, uh, the one great quality that I've I've been able to to amass for myself is the, the ability to be objective. Uh, and again, that's another stoic thing: is that that ability to look at everything from the outside, in, in a sense. And uh, I had some great courage, confidence building moments in my life. And so I have, I have a huge bank to draw on and I actually have, um, I have a confidence journal that I do. So what I do is, um, I have a, a, a thing that I write in and, and periodically I just, whatever comes to me, moments from the past things. And, and then, um, as part of a winning ritual that I have daily, I just, I go through and I, and I reconnect to something. I just open up a page. Hmm. Um, and I remind myself that, oh, I did that. Yeah, I did that. Wow. Right. That's one thing. And then the confidence also comes from instinctively when you, when you know you're aligned, when you have an ease and a peace about this is who I am. That gives you that gives you all the inspiration you need to kind of to, to kind of go forward, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's that is not easy to get to. That takes work too, right? But but once you have that, it's a lot easier to to face the the face the day. Well, and specifically, I know who I am, and I don't really care if you don't like it. You True. Know, just this, like this is who I am. Well. That's it. And, and, and to truly get to that phase, oh, uh, you know, yeah. that's hard. And, and I, For sure. and I, everyone just needs to be comfortable in their own skin and not worry about what others think and feel and say and point fingers or talk behind your back or may, or, uh, or, or harass you because you're making wrong decisions. You know, I have someone close to me that's going through that as well. And, uh, you know, everyone's, you can't 
that's why are you doing that? You can't do that. You can't do that. That's like, blah, blah. Fuck, who, who are they? Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. person, we all need to figure shit out on ourselves. And of course, you know, and, and you guys know, 99.9% of those people have their own shit yeah. going oh, yeah. on that they're, sure. that they're just avoiding. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, it's, it's a shame. But that is, that is life. So what we can do, we can do our part. And if I can walk around with my head held high and own myself and own my gym that I am now, fuck, that's amazing. And it makes me better. It makes my clients better. It makes, I like to think that it makes the world better in my little tiny, 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 tiny contribution, right? Well, in a past episode, Andrew talked about uh, spirituality for him is the whole idea of stillness, right? And, And you really need that stillness away from all the people saying, hey, you should do this. Hey, you should do that. Like, so get off social media, first of all, <laughs> and, and just, uh, which is just all of that. I'm posturing and, and all that kind of stuff. And and just get to that place where you can develop that confidence and, and, and develop that idea of what you can contribute. You need that stillness. And Ryan Holiday, I mean, he, mm-hmm. we're talking about him again. His new book talks all about that. Um, apparently, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so says the title. But uh but yeah, I mean, and, and just that, that might be the most spiritual thing you can give yourself is to find those times to be still so you can start to work on that, you know, real you. Yeah, or get in touch with it. Yeah, get, get in, in touch, touch with, with it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe as a, as a way to kind of begin wrapping up here, um, I'm wondering where, where the next step in the journey might go. You've been, you've been all around North America. You've, you've found... A, a true sense of identity here and, and what might be coming next. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm again, fortunate enough to, to be part of a company, uh, which, which I'll talk about in a sec, but um, be part of a company that, that is a heart-based approach to business in and of itself. And so growing that um, and being in true alignment with the company uh I've never had that before, or I've never noticed it or given it awareness. And now it's truly powerful when you're, you're involved with something that you're completely uh, in alignment with. And so uh, I plan on speaking more, uh, getting back to what I used to do. And you know, when, I, when I first moved to New York, I actually was a spokesperson for, for the American Lung Association. And because of my journey with asthma and athletics, and I would go around and, and, and speak at events and go to the hospital and see kids with my medals and, you know, um, and I want to get back to that, but on a broader scale, meaning, uh, with the journey coming out the other side and, uh, and really inspiring, inspiring people to do, to do the deep work. That's. That's my calling, and I do that with my clients as part of Leap Zone with our with our business and and, and executive clients. I do that, uh, and I want to continue to do that on a, on a broader scale, um, and sharing and sharing that message. Um, yeah. So, as you go forward into that, how will you avoid falling into those traps that were once so debilitating? Yes. The attention and the absolutely yeah, the spotlight absolutely right and um, it's it, it's a great question because here I am on this podcast 
And, uh, you know, I mean, even on the drive down here, I was all excited. I'm like, God, this is what I love to do. You know, it's kind of that thing. However, we don't, I don't know. In other words, I can't project. All I know is that now I'm in a position right now where even the thought of being on a stage tomorrow giving a talk, it's because they need to hear it. It's not because I need them to go, wow, that's the fucking difference. And uh, I have faith because I've done the work that that will continue. Um, as, you know, as I travel around and, and speak and do different things and, and, and that will stay. It has to be. It's a non-negotiable at this point. You know, I've, I've sacrificed too much and come out the other side as who I really want to be to, to not honor that and not let, this is my calling. And I think, I, I just, I know it sounds out there, woo-woo-ish, but when you, when you connect with that, it's clear. I can just say, because it, because it won't. I mean, that it's as clear as day to me. It's hard to me to convey that to you. No, I can see it. Absolutely, right? but yeah. Just because it won't. <laughs> and, and, and you say it's out there, but it's not. It's in here. True. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's well, not, that's it, right? It's not out there at all. Well, and that's where that's where I think joy comes from, right? Is that connection between you're serving something greater than yourself, but and that's why you love to do it. And so we don't have to feel bad that, oh, you're going to go up on stage and you get something from it. You're excited to go on the podcast. Sometimes I think we go to the other extreme and be like, it's, it's selfish because I enjoy it. Mm. Not, not at all. That's how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to be joyful about the things that are aligned with your purpose and values and then, and then go on and benefit other people. Absolutely. That's how it, life works. Absolutely. Right. But, but, but it's, it was that disconnection before it was. where it was like the end in the beginning was, was you. Right, it's moving beyond you to to others and us, and and that's where that joy comes from. Yeah, absolutely. And it is joy. I mean, it's, it is it's, joy. It's, it's an amazing, unbridled. You just want to do it again and again and again. And I think, you know, we talk about people want uh, people choosing to follow the happiness trail, or what does that look like? I just want to be happy. It's not happy. It's joy. Mm-hmm. Joy absolutely. is so much more. Yeah, yeah. Intricate, powerful essence than just being happy. Absolutely. You mm-hmm. know. Um, so, and it wasn't, you know what? It's, it's Matthew McConaughey talks about this. Uh, he, it wasn't until he enjoyed and found joy in the process of his work mm-hmm. that his career started to really take off. Yeah. I could see that. You know, not just the, Hey, I'm making movies and I'm doing this. No, it's about the, the, the hard work, the long hours, but having a sense of joy around that. And, and ultimately that is what created the energy to, to, to help him succeed. Man, Interstellar is like one of my favorite movies. I got to be honest. I, oh my, dude, I, you and I got to watch movies together. I, I watched like that movie you. and just by the end, I'm just like crying. Totally. It's so, so powerful, man. I, I know. I love, love that one. I love that I haven't movie seen it. Too. Come on. <laughs> hey, we need to invite sorry. Andrew to our movie viewing. <laughs> you and I should have a movie podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's so good in that. I know. I know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's deep, deep stuff, but. Yeah. At the end, it's also simple. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right? The and most real. complex thing in the world is simplicity. Yeah. How do you, how do you yeah. get there? Because um, at the end of the day, it's just being alignment. It's like, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. It's so simple. 
now. <laughs> yeah. yeah simple sure. but not easy. Not Another easy. One nope. of those things. No. Nope. Simple but not easy. Nope. All right. Well, we've got some uh, got some lunch to eat at some point here. But um, just before we go, uh, where can people go to to find you, Jim, and and hear more about your story and, and what you do? Yeah, for sure. So uh, Leap Zone Strategies is, is a company here um, in Vancouver, uh, on Vancouver Island. Actually, uh, we we are a branding, marketing, consulting, and coaching company. So we're a kind of a one stop shop for small business owners anywhere from you know, 80,000 to 10 million, we have clients um, in that small business world. And we we do a lot of in-depth work with, with them building their business brand from the inside out, working on everything under the hood, right? How they position themselves out, in, out into the real world, how they position themselves among their employees, uh, their performance KPIs, all that stuff, creating an architecture for their success, both internally and externally. Uh, and we work one-on-one with business owners, with their teams. Uh, so I'm very, very blessed to, to do that. I have clients all over the world, which is amazing. I, I, and and uh, it's really inspiring that way. Again, connecting, doing what you love. And so uh, we were remote. We, we operate remote. We actually have a retreat center here on the island, which is absolutely amazing. I think the two of you are going to stop by yeah, soon. Yeah, we're yeah, going to be coming by to record with Isabel. Isabel. Good, yeah. mm-hmm. good. It's it's quite the amazing facility there, and uh, they do a lot of what's called equine facilitation. We um, and we bring in uh, horse behavior and things like that into building people's businesses. It's really, uh, and I'll let Isabel and Margarita un- unveil that. That beautiful nugget. Interesting. There's another animal connection there. Oh, I didn't think of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Horses are amazing beasts. I I've mm-hmm. never, I've, I'd never really met been around horses until I started working at Leap Zone, and and they're there. Yeah, they're quite amazing creatures for sure, for sure. Um, so uh, this is what this is what I'm do. So LeapZoneStrategies.com. And to that end, I'd love to uh, I'd love to offer. Uh, any of your your listeners um, a free masterclass that Isabel actually just put together within the last three or four months ago. Um, it's a seventy five minute kind of uh, masterclass, so we can we can post the link uh, perhaps in, yeah yeah in, in the some, show notes on our website for sure in some session notes yeah. and uh, you know it's it's really it's all about getting paid well for your genius and uncovering the the three major warning signs that uh, your small business is set up to fail in today's economy. Hmm. And uh, it's 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 quite amazing that over fifty percent of small businesses go out of business in the first year. Oh, yeah, and yeah. only six percent ever make it to six figures, or seven percent ever make it to six figures. Hmm. Think about that. You know, so uh, the we'll post the link. It's actually leapzonestrategies.com backslash get paid well. Get paid well. Uh, that'll take you to the free thing, and and it it, it, it will really. I recommend everybody to, to uh, spend the 75 minutes to, to take a little journey with Isabel so that they can uh, really assess their, their own business and where they are uh, at this time. Well, that's very generous. So you thank you very much for yeah. offering that to, to our listeners. That's awesome. And in fact, I think we'll partake of that as well. I'm, not a bad idea. I was thinking the same thing. Um, and the, the cool thing about when you do that sort of work, I mean, it's, it's your example of, you know, that the journey you've been through since you've been on the island it's it's 
you know, you can be working on your business, but inevitably it comes back to the the self-work and, and, you know, 75 minutes, it's probably just going to be the the beginning of a a longer journey because once you start uncovering that stuff, that's when you, you find real meaning and and you can come back to, to touch on the identity piece and and really do that, that hard, important work. You know, Andrew, you're right. And if I just may add to that, you know, again, with, with the cross section of, of business owners that I'm privileged to coach, all of them, almost in every coaching session, something goes back to their personal brand always. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's amazing. Um, and so it just, it, it reemphasizes the importance of doing your, doing your self work in conjunction with running a business. Yeah. You know, you have to take care of the self. Yeah. Who we are is how we lead. Hmm. And, and I mean, we're leaders in, in the businesses and, and in our relationships and in our families and, and wherever we present ourselves. Well, you know, Andrew, it just occurred to me, here we are recording this, you know, November 20th, and this probably isn't going to come out till the new year, but what a perfect episode to come out in the beginning of the new year. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we should make that happen. And in fact, you're listening to it now, folks. We did make it happen. <laughs> yeah. And what a, what a great way to start your year by watching that 75-minute thing and reflecting on some of the lessons from Jim's life and, and you know, committing to becoming a better you this year by being better with and for others. Absolutely. For yeah. sure. Well, thanks a lot for, for sharing everything that you have and for giving what you have and uh, continuing on on the journey and... and we're excited uh, that we could do this and, and looking forward to being a part of it as we move on. Well, thank you to the both of you uh, as well. And it, it's a privilege to sit down with you guys and and to shoot the shit. And and, and this this is our contribution. This this was an amazing two hours or whatever it's been. And, and uh, I thank you both mm. uh, because it does center us, right? It does, it does put everything else on stop. And we're here. And so for that, I'm grateful alone. Well, that's the episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you liked what you heard here, check out the website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That's where you can subscribe, check out the show notes. If we have one request, we'd ask you to leave us a kind review and perhaps share this episode. It's not because we have fragile egos. Well. But because we want other great people like you to benefit. Speaking of great people, we have a list of people we want to thank. We've got our senior technical advisor, Andy Robertson, our media partner and web designer, Sticky Media, and of course, our host and snack coordinator, Judy Langford. Oh, peanut butter cookies. You can continue the conversation on Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast and on Twitter at Obstacle Pod. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Keep pushing through those obstacles.